place because without your holy presence in this building today then nothing of any good will be accomplished so lord we we invite you you are the guest of honor you're the one that we need to hear from more than anyone else so lord we we pray that you would glorify your son glorify your father in the works that are done here today and we'll thank you in jesus name amen Boys and girls, come on up to the front. Boys and girls, First Baptist Church. Now, the older kids today will go back to your class after the lesson. The younger kids will go to your class. Uh, the older kids will go back to your parents, I should say. Uh, but starting next week, of course, <clears throat> our middle schoolers, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, will go out to their classroom uh, at the 10 o'clock hour. Jason, are you going to stay in here until everybody's dismissed, or how are you going to work that? Have we thought about that? Stay here and then dismiss at that time. Okay, all right, good, good. We got all our bases covered here. Make sure we're ready. Boys and girls, good-looking crew up here this morning. How many of you know what this is? How many of you know what this is? What is it? It's a ruler. What kind of a ruler specifically? It's a yardstick. How many yards does this stick represent? One yard. How many feet does this represent? Three feet. How many inches does this represent? 36. How many millimeters is this? Never mind. <clears throat> okay, I've done this uh, since I've been here probably a couple of times, and, and it's redundant, but I, I enjoy the illustration so much, I just want to do it again. So, you know, endure it, okay? Uh, but I'll start out by saying that last year I used, I think it was last year or the year before, I used a 48-inch four-foot stick. It's not a yardstick. It's a yard and a foot stick. Uh, because I wanted to be able to have an object lesson to show you. The truth of the matter is, if Chuck or I are represented, our age is represented by this yardstick, uh, and the first step you do is take off how much you've already lived, you throw the whole thing away, because it's done for you and me, Chuck. We're, we're through. We're finished. But how many, let's, let's find out. Uh, how, tell me, someone, someone know how old your dad is? How old your dad? You have no idea. 39. How old's your mom? Oh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Almost got in trouble. All right, let's, let's suppose, how old are you? Nine, Nine years old. So if, if I was to use her as an illustration on this, I would take the nine, nine years old. I would take for two, why can't you be an even number? Uh, four and a half. I would take four and a half inches off because every inch represents two years. If the Bible is true, how many know what a score, four score and seven? How, how many know what a score is? Yeah, it's communist, I think. But a, a score 
is uh, three score and 10 is like, it's 20 years, right? So it'd be three score with 60 years and 10 with 70 years. So the Bible talks about us living 70 years. Doesn't mean everybody's going to live 70 years. Lots of people don't. Lots of people live more than that. Billy's brother passed away at 86 years of age, just came back from the funeral. Love God, love the Lord. Married 60, how many years? 67 years, uh, you know, tremendous. Uh, so, so some live longer, some live a lot less. Uh, but if we were to use her, now, how, how old are you, buddy? 11 years old. <laughs> Five and a half inches. So I would take that much off. Is anybody here eight years old? Okay, eight years old. I would take four inches off. Now, we're going to assume that somebody here, is anybody out here 30 years of age? 30? Any truthful person 30 years of age? <laughs> right over here. Okay. All right. All right. So if you, if you have 30 years of age, that's gone. Too late. That's gone. Well, actually, there's nothing. Yike. I used to be able to break these, too, a lot better. Okay. So, so now, and, and out of that, Alec, out of, the, out of the time that you have left to live, each inch being uh, two, two years, uh, you're going to sleep part of that time, right? Okay. So they say, I don't get it, but uh, they say about a third of your life is spent sleeping. So you got about that much left, see? So, and then you're going to work. I, I assume you have to work and make a living, and, and uh, so that, you know, about a third is gone. So... <laughs> We're down to this, buddy. You, your goatee just turned gray. <laughs> Watching you, it just turned gray. So with this amount of time, you've got to eat, you've got to bathe, you've got to travel. You've got, if you have vacation, if you have time off, if you play, if you, if you read books, if you go to church, if you relax, that's what you got left. And that's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven inches, so 14 years. That's it. And you thought you were young, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So the reason I didn't do this with, with my age is because, I get, like I said, it was done from the very beginning. <clears throat> so what you boys and girls need to understand is that you have a whole life in front of you. I once had a friend who told me that in a church service, he had two and a half adults or two and a half people get saved. And I said, two and a half people? You mean two adults and a child? He said, no, two children and an adult because the adult had already lived half of his life. So you've got your life to live for God. So if you're six years old, eight years old, 10 years old, whatever you got, live it for God. Put God first. And by the way, when you get home and you find your mama's yardstick, don't do this at home, okay? Do, do not do this at home. All right. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, I pray, Lord, for each young man, each young lady up here on the platform. Oh, God, I pray that you would protect them, that you would bless them. Not only physically, certainly physically, but not only physically, that you would protect them spiritually because the enemy would like to destroy them. The enemy would like to ruin them. He would like to steal their faith away from them. He would like them to think in terms of the world instead of in terms of the spirit. So, Father, protect them. Put a hedge of protection around them and help them to live for you and to love you all of their lives. And, Father, we pray for great things to be accomplished in your kingdom because of these ladies and these men. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the kids said, amen. amen. God bless you. Older kids, go back to mom and dad. Younger kids, go ahead and go to your class. All right.
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to talk about life, managing life, managing time. In Genesis 1, 1, it's, it's just in a very short verse, uh, it's really packed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, do you realize that time, matter, and space were all created simultaneously? Simultaneously. If matter had been created without space, there would be no place to put it. If, if, um, if, if space were created, but there were no matter, then, then we wouldn't be there, and the animal kingdom wouldn't be there, and, and the earth wouldn't be there. But in that, in that short verse, time and space and, uh, and matter all were created by the Almighty God, and, and all human beings then later on were tasks to take care of uh, and to manage all of creation. Now, the month of January, we're going to talk about life management, and this is the first of those lessons and, and we start with time, and, and I just want to ask you the question, where does it go? Where does time go? It marches on. It's relentless. It stops for no one. Uh, not everyone has the same amount. Now, all of us maybe have 24 hours in a day. Not all of us have the same number of days promised. No one can turn time back except for once a year. Uh, when we do it for time change, and then we have to turn it forward again. We're ruled by time. Time takes its toll on everything and all, uh, and all people, uh, all of creation. Uh, we all have our plans. Later on, we're going to do something. Later on, we're going to take it easy. Later on, we're going to rest. Later on, we're going to spend more time with our children. Later on, we're going to serve God. Later on, we'll memorize verses. Later, we'll tithe. Later, we'll get out of debt. Later, later, later. All the while, it's later than you think. I began looking at periods of blocks of time in the Word of God, and I looked at, I found that 40 years was a very significant time period for a lot of reasons. For example, Moses spent his first 40 years in Egypt as a slave, well, with his people. He wasn't a slave. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh because of the providence of God. Then he killed an Egyptian and had to be exiled, and he was 40 years in the backside of the desert. And then he came back and led the children of Israel out of slavery, spent another 40 years in the wilderness until that whole generation died off. Now, 40 years is the amount of time of David's reign. Uh, the epistles, the, the New Testament epistles were written in about a 40-year period. The world was turned upside down with the message of Christ and the gospel of salvation. I mean, the whole world was turned upside down in about 40 years. In one year, a lot of things can happen. Death can happen, Billy, uh, and, and a marriage can happen, <clears throat> a new job can happen, uh, you can have a new home in a year, you can have a new baby in a year, uh, all kinds of things can happen in a year. A month is no time at all. It's already January, it's already the fifth day of January 2020. I, 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 you know, I know some people have trouble still writing 2019. I saw a cartoon the other day where a guy says, I'm, I'm still writing B.C. on my checks. And <clears throat> so a week, forget it. I told you, my week is Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Sunday. That's how fast it seems to go. A day is nothing. The wisest man who ever lived said, boast not your, yourself of tomorrow. You don't know what a day is going to bring. Today, right now, is all we have for sure. The Holy Ghost said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, <clears throat> today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And by the way, just an aside, okay, this doesn't cost you any more in this message. This is an aside. <clears throat> harden not your hearts. It, that, that is a cardiosclerosis. It's like hardening of the arteries, only it's hardening of the heart. 
uh, the, the two words. Uh, are, I thought it was interesting. Uh, so don't let your heart uh, be afflicted with sclerosis where it becomes hardened. Uh, so listen to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. An hour, John 5, 25, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they shall hear that here shall live. It could be that if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ in the free pardon of sin, it could be that within this hour, your whole eternity could be changed. Where you spend eternity will be different because of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A moment in Job 20, verse 5, uh, that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Time just keeps marching on. Someone said the only thing that goes faster than a $20 bill are time and a teenage driver. It may be. Benjamin Franklin was a pretty wise man. He said, quote, do you love life? Then do not squander time, for that is the stuff life is made of. John Randolph said, time is at once the most valuable and yet the most perishable of all of our possessions. So God gives you time. God gives me time, and he commands us to manage it. My question to us today is, how are we doing in managing our time? Psalm 90, 12, so teach us to number our days. You know what that means? That means to count, to reckon, to number, to assign, to tell, to appoint, to prepare. In other words, it involves giving a lot of thought to, it teaches to, to pay attention to our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. But this I say unto you, brother, that time is short. And the word there for, that's translated short in English means it's contracting, it's shrinking. It's almost like it's getting faster and it seems that way as we get older. Does it seem that way to you? Are you getting older? Uh, to me, it seems like time just gets, just goes away, gets away quicker and quicker, and it's gone uh, before you know it. Colossians 4, 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. And that means uh, gaining as much time and opportunity in that time as possible in the view of the persecution they were enduring. Uh, and, and it means to buy it up, redeem the time, get as much of it, as, use it as much as you possibly can. Uh, don't let it go by unheeded. Pay attention. So the scriptural pattern for the management of time, I, I began to look into um, commandments about our time. And I, and I found, first of all, that we're to labor six days a week. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. And then the Sabbath commandment was found in verses 8 uh, and, and 11, uh, encompassing the verse I just read in verse 9. Remember the Sabbath, or the seventh day, to keep it holy, which means sanctified or to be kept separate. Six days shall you labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it you shall do no work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor anybody else. That's what it keeps saying, no one. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hold it. So, so the Sabbath day is, is which day? Saturday. It is Saturday. It is the Sabbath. It is the seventh day. It is the, the day that got... Now, God didn't get tired after six days of creating, you know? He didn't sit down and take his handkerchief out and mop his brow and say, man, I need a day off. I've been working like crazy, creating the heavens and the earth and all the galaxies and people and animals and all the vegetation and the fish in the sea, and I am wore out. God never gets tired. Aren't you glad for that? You ever get tired? 
You tired right now? I won't preach so loud because some of you are trying to take a nap right now. So I'll, just, I'll kind of preach a little bit slower, a little bit lower. But, uh, but, you, but you know what this principle... Oh, by the way, the Christian is not commanded to observe the Sabbath day. We're not on the Sabbath day right now, by the way. We're on the first day of the week, also called the Lord's Day, because the Lord resurrected on <clears throat> the first day of the week. And so in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you. Listen to this. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So, so still the principle that a definite portion of our time ought to go to, to rest and, and not working still applies, but the specific day is not necessarily the Sabbath day for the Christian, for the child of God. Don't be judged. If you're a vegetarian, God bless you. Don't judge me because I eat meat. If I eat a piece of bacon, leave me alone. <clears throat> Actually, for many years, I didn't eat any pork, and then I, I slipped and backslid and ate a piece of bacon. That's all it took. Uh, I, I was right back. So the, the ba- I still don't eat pork, just bacon. Don't tell me bacon is pork. I know that. Uh, <clears throat> but, but we're not to judge each other in, in, in regards to that. And, and the, the day that you keep, that you set aside to rest, you cannot go seven days a week 24 hours a day, month after month, without taking time off, you will break down. I told you before, I worked at a steel processing plant when I was in, in the summertime, when I was in high school, and then uh, between in college during the summer, and sometimes I'd work there uh, through holidays and so on. <clears throat> and they went from, from, uh, from uh, see, nine hours a day, six days a week. That was the, the routine schedule. Nine hours a day, six days a week. They went to seven days a week nine hours every day. And productivity, guess what? Went down. Productivity went down because uh, machinery broke down. uh, People broke down. People got sick. People got tired. uh, It it just didn't work. So the principle is a day of rest. By the way, the Sabbath was not primarily a day of worship. That's a misnomer. We think that's what it was. It wasn't. Every day is a day of worship. Every day, you know, temple sacrifices twice a day, in the morning, in the evening, every single day of the week, the high priest took the blood and sprinkled the blood and made that, that sacrifice for sin for the people of Israel. So, uh, so worship takes place every day. Worship ought to take place when you get up in the morning. You sit there over your bowl of oatmeal, or if you are one of those who so desires bacon and eggs and, uh, or Special K or if you're eating those rice cakes or styrofoam or whatever else, we ought to thank God for it. We ought to thank, we ought to thank him for the food we have. There are people who don't have food. We ought to thank him for the roof over our heads. There are people in our city who don't have roofs over their heads. We ought to thank him for the clothes on our back. There are people who don't have decent or clean clothes on their back. We ought to be in an attitude and spirit of worship and specifically worshiping him on every single day of the week. 
But there ought to be a time when we, when we unplug. There ought to be a time when we don't keep on keeping on, pressing on, working hard, because the principle is still true. God commanded Israel to rest one full day a week, and it ought to real, make us realize we need that. And it was, so, it was so incredible. I mean, people could be put to death for breaking the Sabbath. That's so foreign to our thinking today. But that's, that's, what the, that's what it is in the Word of God. So it's important. We see the Savior's conduct now in, in regard to teaching on time. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, uh, something happened that would, would terrify any parent. The parents went to Jerusalem for uh, sacrifices and for holy days, and, and they went in a convoy with a bunch of other people, and, uh, and then they returned home. And, and when they were returning home, they figured out that Jesus, as a 12-year-old young man, was not with them. He, he was not in the caravan going home. And Mary and Joseph, uh, I'm sure, were, were terrified and panicky, and they'd already traveled a day. How could that happen? Well, they, they were with family. They assumed he was with family, whatever. Something happened. Uh, if you've ever had a child get away from you in a store for even a little while, you know how quickly something like that can happen? And so, so they, they turned around, they went back, and they searched for three days. They couldn't find him for three days. And finally, they found him. And he was in the temple, and gathered around him were religious people and scribes and Pharisees and lawyers and doctors, and he was teaching and preaching from the Word of God, a 12-year-old young man. And when they questioned him, I don't know, maybe it was even a little bit of a chastisement. Where have you been? What's going on? Why, why are we? And he said to them, how is it that you sought? Why is it you sought me? Don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? His time was invested in his father's business. He wasn't talking about the carpenter father. He was talking about the heavenly father. So you know what? You have a job to do. You have employment. But you are also, if you are a Christian, you ought to be a full-time Christian. Do we have any firemen here? Anyone? Okay. Uh, let me use that illustration. So, fire department, you got, a, you got a fire department down here in Coronado, and someone, they're not fighting fires 24 hours a day, hopefully. So, uh, so somebody does something to do. Somebody does the cooking for the crew, for that shift or whatever. Somebody else waxes the trucks. Somebody else mops the floors. Somebody else, you know, so there's various jobs they have to do, and they delegate them. So if you go down there and you ask one guy who's waxing a truck, what's your job here? He, he's not going to say waxing a truck. He's going to say, my job's fighting fires. If you go up to the guy mopping the floors, you say, what's your job in the firehouse? He said, he's not going to say, I'm the cook. He's going to say, I fight fires. And so the fact of the matter is, we are Christians. If we are Christians, we're to be full-time Christians. And that doesn't mean we take advantage at work and we, uh, we, we you know, don't work, don't do our job and witness to everybody and preach to everybody. But it means we are full-time Christians and examples and testimonies and following Christ every day, everywhere that we are, in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our places of business, wherever else. Jesus set the tone. His conduct was that he, he had to be about his father's business. In John 9, 4, him, he was speaking again, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day. The night comes when no man can work. One of these days, we'll hang it up, the work part. One of these days, we'll be done. 
We'll be in God's presence, and eternity will begin for us. It may be that he calls us on home, Billy, like your brother. It may be that we hear the trumpet sound, and we shoot up out of this life and, and what's called the rapture, the second coming of Christ. But either way, eternity will be in. Work will be done, but until then, our job, I'm a pastor. My job, though, is to represent God, preach the gospel. Your job in the police force is to, is to keep the order and keep the law, but also to serve Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Your job as a school teacher, same thing, is, is to be a full-time Christian. Uh, your job, whatever it is, 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 to, is to be a full-time Christian alongside whatever you're doing for employment. So the Savior made it clear on many occasions that his time was to be occupied doing the things that the Father had sent him to do, and we, as followers of him, should imitate that. In 1 John 2, 6, he, that's, he that says he abides in Christ ought also to walk even as Christ walked. So let's, hey, don't just serve God on Sunday mornings. Do you put on your holy face? Just smile. You just had war at the house before you got in the car, but now you're smiling. Hi, welcome to First Baptist Church. So glad you're here. You get back in your car after church. Be a full-time Christian. Not one day a week, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And there was a rebuke here in Matthew 20, verses 6 and 7. I know it's not primarily, I know it's a parable talking about uh, a whole different subject, but in there he says, when these laborers, he saw these laborers, this, this, this guy hired a bunch of people to come to the fields and do the work, and he saw a bunch of them standing idle, and he said, why are you standing here idle? Why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing something? You weren't, you're not supposed to just stand around and do nothing. And they said, no man's hired us, and so he told them to go out into the field. I, I, don't, I'm, I know I'm, I'm not misapplying, I'm just, just pointing out another thing uh, about the, the Savior's thoughts about us being idle and doing nothing. We should invest our time in study. Paul said to Timothy, young Timothy, his preacher boy in the faith, study to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly interpreting the word of God. We should spend time not only in study, but in prayer. We have two huge passages in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 6, he says, basically, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites are. The hypocrites go out into a main street out on Orange and 10th or somewhere where there's a bunch of people, and they pray, oh, hey, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. And everybody goes, whoa, that guy's praying. He's holy. Wow. He said, don't be like that. He says, you want to pray? He said, you, you get alone with God. You get in your prayer closet. You shut the door. And you get on your face before God. And you pray. And you ask him for what you need. And he says, do it like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You know, the, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. He says, forgive those who sin against Forgive our sins. Forgive those who we sin against who sinned against us, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. He talks about forgiving others so that God will forgive us our sins. And then in Matthew 7, he says, keep on asking. You get tired of praying? You get tired of asking God for the same old things? You say, I've prayed about this for five years. I've prayed about this for 10 years. I've prayed about it for 25 years. It hasn't happened yet. Keep on praying. 
Keep on asking, you'll receive. Keep on seeking, you'll find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open. You'll promise. It's, red, it's in red letters. It's Jesus speaking. He does not lie. We ought to spend time in study. We ought to spend time in prayer. We ought to spend time in spreading the gospel. Jesus challenged the disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the world. And baptizing was in there too, teaching, baptizing, and teaching. So get him saved and baptize them and disciple them. We ought to spend time doing that. We ought to spend time in worship. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but encourage one another, especially as the day of his return is drawing near. And we, What we're doing today is a great thing to do in 2020. Every single Sunday, every single time, we ought to get together, congregate, assemble. The word church comes from ecclesia, which means called out assembly. We're called out from the world. You're called out from your neighborhood. You're called out from your place of work and labor, and we're called together, and we draw from each other strength, encouragement, love, and we worship our God. Take time to serve others. In Luke 19.10, the whole reason that Jesus took the crown off of his head, the kingly robes off, and got down from the throne in heaven and came down and was born as a little baby and laid in a manger. The whole reason was because he came to seek and to save those who are lost. And he went everywhere, healing people, raising dead people. That widow of Nain, as her son was being carried out on a funeral bier, and here comes Jesus walking through, and he said, get up. And, and a dead young man gets up. I mean, even the dead obey his voice. And he sees people hungry there. They, they've been listening to the preaching, and so he, he takes a little boy's sack lunch, and he feeds 5,000 people, and men, more than that, 5,000 men, and then the ladies and children, too. He just went everywhere doing good, and for that, they crucified him. Special peculiarities of the management of time. The things that are hard about time, it's fleeting, first of all. It goes faster and faster and faster. The scriptures picture it in many ways. It's like the morning dew. You wake up in the morning and the dew is on the grass and pretty soon it's gone. It's like the, a mist or a fog in the morning. I understand that I saw a picture on the internet from this morning from uh, someone took from Tidens Park where there was a fog over the island here and, and then the sun burst out and still there was a fog and parts of it was an awesome picture, but the fog's probably all gone now. Or it's like a wildflower that comes, that grows up and it's just there for a short period of time, maybe a few hours and it's gone. It's like a weaver's shuttle, that, that thing that holds the the, uh, the yarn that moves back and forth in a loom uh, quickly, I mean, really quickly, and, and, and it's a shadow. It talks about a shadow or a breeze, like a breeze that comes along and then it's gone. It's but a step that we take, time. Once it's used, it can never be reclaimed or redone. That attribute alone ought to make us prize it, value it, knowing that we pass this way but once. Do you realize this congregation with this group of people right now assembled 
will never be exactly the same ever again. This is, this is the moment and time that we have. This is it for this group, for this assembly. Because time is relentlessly marching on. Time is precious. Make every moment of every opportunity in these evil days, Ephesians 5, 16. So we should schedule time for attendance at church. Schedule time for our prayer and Bible reading and Bible study and witnessing and all that. Time is uncertain. James says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. There's where he says, it makes the reference, it's here for a little while and it's gone. Well, you ought to say is if the Lord wills us, we'll do this or that. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, we had a good group of guys here. We had a good time together. And we said, said several times to people, and people said it to me, we'll see you tomorrow, the Lord willing, because we don't know that we have another day, do we? Life can end in the hospital. Does a lot. Life can end on the freeway. Life can end at home. Last Sunday, life ended for a couple of people in a church in Texas. Anywhere, anytime, life can end. So my question to you and to me is, are we prepared for that eventuality? The spiritual prophets of the management of time, God becomes our partner. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for laborers together with God, and you are God's husbandry. What in the world does that mean? God's husbandry, God's cultivated field. You are God's cultivated field. You cultivate the field before you go ahead and plant it. You are God's cultivated field. You are God's building, and that means not only the thing built, but you, the process that it's going through. God is constantly working. Remember, the, remember that thing, please be patient with me, God is not finished with me yet? Remember those buttons we used to have uh, with, with the first initial of each of those, please be patient with me, God is not finished with me yet? So there's a series of letters on this button, and you'd wear it, and people say, what in the world is that? And you tell them, God's still working on us. We become partners with Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who had the power to create everything, who knows everything, who sustains everything, who has made promises that are eternal. When we become faithful managers of time, God promises to partner with us. It's just like when, we, when we're faithful with our tithes and offerings, God promises to partner with our finances. We were talking about this. Two, we came from pretty, really low, poor circumstances. I mean, we always had food to eat. She'd grown up as an army brat. Can I say that? Is that okay? Yeah. Army kid. <laughs> army brat. Uh, and... Didn't have a lot. They did not have very much. She tells me what they, uh, the kind of money her dad made, and it's like, how in the world do you even exist on that kind of money? And, and I can't, my dad was a carpenter and worked through the summertime and the fall and the spring, but in the wintertime, everything get frozen, the ground get frozen. You don't go ahead and build houses much in the frozen ground in the Chicago area in the middle of January and February. So a lot of times we didn't have income. So we didn't have very much. But you know what? And because she started when she was making, and I always get this wrong, 25 cents? Oh, see, I lied. 50 cents an hour she was making, working in a library. She started tithing and giving offerings. I didn't start tithing until I was a sophomore in high school. I was making a whole dollar an hour, and I started tithing. on It was a big thing. It was a big deal. 
Stephen tithe on that. But you know what? We made God our partners as kids. And God is abundantly blessed. You want to partner with God. You don't want to go this life without him. You know that little bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? Forget that. God is the pilot. He's the jet plane. He's the fuel. He's everything. We're just along for the ride when he partners with us. We become partners and partakers of his provision, of his guidance, of his promises. We're comforted by his presence. And by the way, not only does he become our partner, but he promises eternal rewards. One of these days, everything we do in this life, we're going to learn about this in the Prophecy Series, will be represented. When we get into heaven, we'll be represented by gold, silver, and precious stones, or by wood, hay, and stubble. And then all of that will be put on an, on an altar, and an angel will light it off, and the stuff that burns, the wood, hay, and stubble will be gone, and ash remaining, but the gold, the silver, the precious stone will represent the things that we did, that we did for the Lord in the right reason, the right purpose. And we will have rewards given to us. You know what we'll do with those rewards? We'll turn around and lay them at the feet of the one who made it possible. Every Christian is expected to set aside time for godly pursuits like regular church attendance, Bible study, prayer, witnessing. Time is a delicate and valuable thing. I, I, I had a poem in, already in my outline a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, knowing what I was going to preach on this day. And then I, I saw a clip where Representative Elijah Cummings, who passed away, quoted it sometime before his death. He said this, and, and I share this poem with you. I have only just a minute, just 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. The wisest man who ever lived said, for everything there's a season, a time, for every activity under heaven, Ecclesiastes 3.1. So time is life. What are you doing with yours? Will you think with me just a moment? How much time do you spend, how much time do I spend talking with the Lord on a daily basis? I mean, really, think about that. How much time do we spend talking with the Lord? This has the word of life in it. How much time do we spend in our Bibles? Do we spend any time telling other people about Christ? If you had a cure for cancer, you knew what the cure for cancer was, and you wouldn't tell Gary, or you wouldn't tell Nadia, what kind of person would you be? We, we read in this book the cure for a lot of what ails people today. If we're not sharing it, if we're not telling people about him, if we're not telling people about the Lord, what kind of friend are we? What kind of person are we? Do we really believe there's a heaven? 
Do we really believe there's a burning hell, a literal burning fire and brimstone hell? I believe in it. Why don't we tell people? Why doesn't our love for them motivate us to overcome our reluctance through fear or whatever else? To tell them that God has made a way that we can live forever with him. What do we do with our time? Well, speaking of time, it's time for you to bow your heads. Time for you to look inside at the end of this month. I'm going to have a commitment card available. And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to be in the Bible every single day. You know what? This is a good time of the year to start out a plan for reading through the entire Bible in one year. You can do it. It's, it's easy. It is easy. It's just the discipline of setting aside time every day to go through the Word of God. We can talk to you. Go on uh, online, version, Y-O-U version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N.com. There are, there are hundreds of different plans for reading through the entire Bible in a year. At the end of the month, we'll have a commitment about, about praying every day. We'll have a commitment time about, about ministry and serving the Lord and giving some of your time. Your calling is not just to come and sit. Your calling is to be part of the body of Christ. And every part of the body has a function. What is your function? What is your part? And are you doing it for the glory of God? So our Father, as we bow in your presence, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction in all of our hearts, mine, everyone else's, and that we would know through the convicting power of your Holy Spirit where we're falling short in not using our time wisely and that we would be determined with the help of your Holy Spirit to be more productive with our time. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for wasting life. Lord, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having fun, enjoying. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but then we need to, we need to have balance. So God, help us to give time to you, to worship you, to praise you, to thank you, to talk to you to tell others of you, to serve other people, to meet their needs. Help us to have a purpose in this life and to fulfill that purpose for the glory of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? As the praise team sings an invitation, I wonder if God would speak to your heart. There's something you need to do. Tom, would you come on down here, please? And Guys, if you need someone to pray with, Tom's right down here. I want you to pray with him. Ladies, here's Rachel and here's my wife. Guys, I'm up here. Uh, Ryan, you're available. If somebody would like to pray with one of these guys, we're going to have communion service in just a moment. So would you take it? We're just going to sing a verse, one verse of invitation. That's it. So if you're going to come and ask someone to pray, if you're going to come, receive Christ or come whatever reason, you need to do it on this first verse as they lead us.
Heavenly Father, we ask you now to bless this communion service as we enter into it, that we would honor you, that we would take this opportunity to look into our own hearts, look into our own lives, and if there's anything, any shortcoming, any sin, anything that's remained unconfessed to this hour, I pray we would take advantage and confess it to you right now and prepare ourselves to partake of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? And those who are going to help pass out the elements, would you come ahead right now? And I'm going to ask that we first of all pass out the unleavened bread. And once you're served the unleavened bread, would you please hang on to it until everyone is served? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread. Go ahead and pass it out. And gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing or declaring the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sickly and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. And I love that. You want to keep from being judged by God? Judge sin in your own life. Confess it to him. Forsake it. And partake in just a moment after everyone is served. Gospel Matthew says, while they were eating the Passover feast, celebrating the fact that God had delivered his nation, his people, out of slavery and bondage, 
As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. Tom, would you ask the blessing on the bread? He said, take eat, this is my body. Next, he took the cup. Yeah. Uh-huh.
he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them. John, would you give thanks for the cup? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us to the point of sending your son. Mm. Thank you for this reminder right now. Help us to be reminded every day that without the shedding of his blood, we would be in sin and we would be condemned to death. Yes. Pray, Lord, that we would be living that way, telling others how we choose to think about you. In Jesus' name, amen. He said, this is the blood of the New Testament. He said, drink ye all of it. On that fateful night, they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives, and there the blood of Christ began to be shed as he agonized in prayer. So we're going to stand together, and as a show of unity, as much as possible, join hands. And we're going to sing a chorus, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. today. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house.